What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jace Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnson's, Ja Rass, of course. We've got Jace, we got him for days, Josh Hayden. Happy net rankings release day. Always As interesting. Always. Interesting experiment to see just how bizarre things can get at the beginning. Of course, it always straightens itself out by the end. Didn't think this one was too wild, though. Shout out to Sam Houston State getting that top 10 net ranking. But other than that, seemed at least pretty close and not as bad as I remember past years when the rankings come out for the first time. <laughs> yeah, um, the top three schools in the net rankings are in the top five of the eight people. So... I mean, right, there are some weird ones like there always are, but every year the first one seems to get a little bit better, even if you aren't entirely sure how the algorithm at any point ever has Sam Houston State at number seven. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, it gets to the end of the season and seems to be in a pretty accurate spot. So as a result, these rankings are fun to look at and laugh at uh in a lot of in a lot of cases because they don't ultimately seem to have that big of an impact on where teams end up at the end of the season mm-hmm. winners and losers gonzaga baylor indiana falls Rutgers. we'll get to all of it in the pod today but we'll start with winners and losers like we do on most mondays josh who's your winner i went with maryland Shout out to the Terrapins. Yeah. 8-0 against a... I mean, it's not like they have the best schedule in the country, but there are multiple quality wins in there. It's not like they've just won eight games they're automatically supposed to win. And now, yes, okay, so they got a 25-point win over Louisville, which means very, very little, and even less now that you know Louisville is right there near the bottom of the, the net ranking. So that... Eh. I mean, it's an ACC win, but I don't even know if you can count that as an ACC win the way things are going for Louisville. More importantly was the 71-66 win over Illinois, in which Demir Young had 24 points. Maryland won the three-point line. They won the free-throw line. That's a pretty good way to win basketball games against high-quality teams is to control those two areas. We kind of joked at the end of the last podcast, it's almost like Kevin Willard is a really good basketball coach, and this roster had some talent on it. I didn't expect them to be this good this early, but you got your best test of the season so far against an Illinois team. We both picked to win the conference, and they came away with a win, got really good guard production, which is always important. And I also wanted to put them as a winner here because right after this, you're playing at Wisconsin, you're playing Tennessee, and you're playing UCLA. So to have these kind of – to to get off to a good start in the Big Ten, to have these kind of wins already on your resume, and to go into the stretch of games without a loss gives you some breathing room where Maryland could lose all three of those games and still be in a pretty good position, right? If you're asking a Maryland fan, would you take eight and three through these 11 games? I would argue the answer would be yes, and that's assuming they lose all three of them. They could very well win at least one of them, if not two. So we're going to get to see just how good this Maryland team is with this stretch, but they've already put themselves in a really good position to be a factor in the Big Ten, to not just be playing to make the NCAA tournament, but to be playing for a good NCAA tournament seed that can set you up for getting to the second weekend potentially and things like that. They, they're they just one of the biggest winners in the country so far, and they got their biggest win of the season this week, so I wanted to talk about them for a minute. I... I... It says something about where they are at this point that I would like if I'm a Maryland fan and they lose the next three games, I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because I think they're better than two of those teams. Yeah. Um, now, they might lose to Wisconsin because it's on the road. And right. Winning in Madison is no easy feat to no matter who you are. Um, so they could go one and two, right? I'd still probably pick Tennessee over them in terms of which team I like better. But with that being said, what the the product they've put on the floor the first month of the season would suggest, at least from my point of view, that they're better than UCLA and they're better than Wisconsin. Um, and that's that's a pretty good place to be considering right who that stretch of games is against one and 
where and how quickly Kevin Willard seems to have a lot of momentum behind the program. Yeah. Sticking in the Big Ten for my winner. My winner is Nebraska. Three wins in the last eight days, headlined by number number seven, uh, a win over number seven, Creighton. Blue Jays lost two straight this week, one of them to Texas, but um, then they lost to Nebraska in Omaha. That's not exactly one you were expecting to happen. Um, They beat two bad high major teams in Florida State and Boston College, but those are also two teams struggling with not having the complete form of their rosters. I think those are two teams that will beat teams in conference play that you're like, really that team got a loss to Florida state and Boston college. I think those are teams that are, even though specifically Florida state has been, has been pretty, pretty darn bad so far. I mean, that's what they, I mean, they gave Virginia all they could handle. Right. And, and, you know, and they were, um, you know, Purdue ended up beating them by 10, but Florida State was really in that game for for a long for a lot of the 40 minutes. So clearly, like always, there's talent there at Florida State with Leonard Hamilton's team. Um, so those are those are two wins that I think maybe they don't end up being great wins, but they are. I I think they'll end up being better wins than they are right now. Um do you know how many high major teams Nebraska beat last year? <laughs> Not in non-conference, all year. Total. I mean, I'm going to guess three? It's four. I was really hoping it was three because three would mean <laughs> I could come in here and say that Nebraska has already equaled their total high major wins. Right. Um, all four of them came on or after February 9th. That's right. Yep, yep. Um, they won three straight teams in the, ten the <laughs> right, season. Right, right. Um, and then I think won a game in the – Big Ten tournament, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm not sure I'm remembering correctly. But um, the point being is that they're already doing something that they didn't do last year, which is beat high major teams, right? They still have, it's not like Nebraska is now 8-1 and one and they are winning games at an alarmingly high rate. I mean, they they hadn't won until last Sunday. They hadn't beaten a high major team yet. They had lost to St. John's, Oklahoma, and Memphis. None of them were particularly close. So I'm not right. Nebraska hasn't exactly like put together a an NCAA tournament resume at this point, but um, they did win three straight. They did beat a Creighton team that can be the foundation of your non-conference resume. Right, there's still plenty of work to do when it comes to, and I misremembered they lost to Northwestern by two in the in the Big Ten tournament last year. Um, my brain was was mis- misremembering, um, but three wins three wins in a row against high major teams, and I didn't look specifically, but um, that hasn't happened very many times in the last few <laughs> years. Right, it happened last year, relatively inexplicably, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, they're my winners. Um, they're up to 78th at Kempom. The last time they were that high at Kempom was the end of the 2019 season. They lost to TCU in the NIT that year after beating Butler in the first round of that tournament. Um, that was the last time they were that high at Kempom. They're 78th on December 5th. They started the season at 108. Um, so that is a jump of 30, 30 spots, 20 spots, mm-hmm. yeah, 30 spots. 108 to 78, 30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they're my winner here. Um, the schedule gets tough quick. Poor Nebraska. They got they get both Indiana and Purdue in their two <laughs> December games, and then you follow that up with Kansas State. So if you're if you're if you're grouping the four games together, it's Creighton, Indiana, Purdue, and Kansas State in 13 days. So it's not going to get any easier. But um, Fred Hoiberg's team is not a is not a walk all over this year. I don't think. Yeah, I mean. You kind of made the point I was going to, which is, I don't care who the high major wins are against. It's back-to-back-to-back high major wins for Nebraska. Yeah. Setting yourself up into Big Ten play here. Now, Right, they have the unfortunate reality where it's not like they got some of those games that you think they might be able to win to sort of continue this, right? If you got a Minnesota or somebody just picking an example where you feel like Mm -hmm. you could win that game. So now all of a sudden you got that Big Ten win coming in too. 
that is not how the schedule aligned for Nebraska. But just from a confidence standpoint of maybe we actually can, you know, play with the teams in the Big Ten, feeling like not coming in, feeling like you're already defeated, knowing you can beat really good teams if things go right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, does it mean anything for the big t- for the NCAA tournament or NIT hopes? Maybe, maybe not. If it if Nebraska ends up being in that conversation, this week is going to be a big reason why. So, absolutely one of the bigger winners. And I'll jump right into my loser because my loser is Creighton. Uh, the Blue Jays took sixty-seven three-pointers in these two losses. Would you like to guess how many of them they made? Fifteen. Fourteen. Very close. <laughs> Nobody in the starting lineup scored more than 10 points against Nebraska. The bench provided zero points against Texas. And I wouldn't be worried if it was just the Texas game. We didn't really get a chance to talk about this one because it happened after our second pod last week. They were good. They were right in the game. It's not a game I expected them to win. I had no concerns whatsoever after the Texas game. Mm. But you pair that with, and I mean, Baylor Shireman just could not get a three to go to save his life until the very end of the game. I think they were at one point one for 22 from three or something. Jeez. It was rough. And then he hit a couple at the, to keep him in the game at the end. But I thought, okay, you're terrible shooting night. You're still competitive against Texas. I almost come away feeling more confident about you, but then you got this Nebraska situation and you just can't be that bad shooting threes, take that many of them and be that inconsistent coming off the bench. I mean, I don't, I don't really have deeper analysis here other than all of those things can't happen. And you gave up 72 points to Texas and 63 to Nebraska. Not bad defensive performances, but when you're scoring, you know, between 55 and 65 points a game, you got to be better than that defensively. Or you're yeah, going to... I mean, you got to be better offensively. Well, right. Holding it, Texas to 70 points is a completely admirable sure. defensive performance. Sure. My point is if you're not going to get – if this is going to be your reality offensive, right, something has to either sure. – you've got to solve your problems offensively and start hitting threes or not take a bazillion of them, or you got to find a way to become not just a great defensive team but one of the five best defensive teams in the country for Creighton mm-hmm. to realize their potential this season and still get sure. where I think they can. That sure. was – that was right. The bigger issue is definitely the offense right now. So you got to figure something out. I'm just really there, my loser, because I'm becoming worried the offense can't be fixed. I'm not to the point where I'm convinced of that yet, but I was really confident it could be, and I'm not so sure at this point. But at the same time, they had scored at least 72 points in every single game up until this point. They mm-hmm. they beat Arkansas in a game in which Arkansas scored 87. So. It it might just be a, at some point, let's get both things on the same page at the same time. Right. Right. Um, Like, and they scored 79 against Arizona, but they let Arizona score 81. And then you, then you have the week of, of bad performance. The, the defense I thought was just fine. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah, definitely. But it came in a week. And in a four days in particular where they couldn't hit the broad side of the barn to throw the basketball into the ocean. And what you get is, is two losses. So um, I, 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 for right. Or for the most part agree that right. Either you, you either need to get elite, elite defensively against good teams or I guess competent teams. I'm not sure Nebraska is a good team. Um, they might be competent this year though. Um, either get elite defensively to like a, a Virginia right. holding teams to 49 points perspective, or you got to find a way to score the basketball better. Um, they don't turn anybody over. Um, they also don't turn it over a ton, but they, they don't get a ton of easy looks because they don't turn over teams a lot. They're, you know, their steal percentage is outside the top 200, but their you know, their non-steal turnovers are 357th, they're 338th in general turnover percentage. So when the offense is struggling, it's not like you're creating any more good looks for your offense through turnovers, even if the defense is is fine from you know an effective field goal perspective, you know effective field goal percentage perspective, even though those two things aren't aren't spectacular either. Um, yeah, it's they just seem to not be quite as good on either end of the floor as I was expecting them to be, which I right. think is maybe just the biggest takeaway. Right? Is that yes. Um, 
you know, the the offense has been for the first, you know, three weeks of the season, the offense was 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 fine and the defense was fine and then it kind of moved a little further away from fine on both ends of the floor and then you get this three game losing streak. Yeah, that's that's really where sort of I come down on this is I I I had him in my final four. <laughs> I mm-hmm. picked him to win the comp to win the biggies without hesitation. I'm just not exactly sure what is winning Creighton games against the very best teams in the country. This They're going to win a bunch of games because they're just better than most teams and they're better defensively than most teams. But when you go play Texas, when you go play Arizona, what is winning you that game? That's the part I'm not. And so part of this is resume. Part of this is just, I don't feel as good about Creighton's ceiling as I did a sure. week ago. Sure. My loser is North Carolina. Um, and and my loser is North Carolina for like if like this this is really just a, I mean right they they didn't have a great week obviously, and they haven't had they've had a completely disastrous last you know ten twelve days or so. Um, I'm just gonna read what I've got and let you respond. Um, they're five and four. They've now lost four straight. Armando Baycott is dealing with some sort of shoulder injury that he sustained in the Indiana game that kept him out of the loss to Virginia Tech. That is at least worthy of noting. Um, They received exactly one vote in the AP poll this week. Not, 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 this is the AP number one team less than a month after the season has started. They received one AP vote. And to be honest with you, whoever that vote belongs to, you're wrong and you need to pay closer attention. Um, and like to go even further, they wouldn't make the sixty-eight team field if the NCAA tournament no. started tomorrow. No, their best win is over Portland because it was semi away. Yeah, I mean, like from a Kempom perspective, it's James Madison, but um, they they haven't beaten a team inside the top eighty of Kempom as of this morning. Um, they're zero and four already against Quad One. They're outside the top 300 in three-point field goal percentage. They have a rebounding margin of one. This is a this is a program that for the last 10 years, it's like that's one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They're not a great rebounding team. Um, they're not a great shooting team. They don't have any they're they don't have anybody I feel like I can lean on late in games. They have the Auburn syndrome where the guards think they're the best players on the floor, and they're just not, or at least not consistently enough to take as many shots as they do. Um it is it is a catastrophe in 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 Chapel Hill right now. It's it's really really bizarre what we're what we're kind of seeing happening in front of us. But they're my loser um, for this week and for all Kingdom Come, Amen. If they could start hitting some threes, that would really help in terms of just getting some space because it's playing into all of their weaknesses, right? That. Guys are getting tempted to take threes they probably shouldn't when they're not going in. It's closing those driving lanes that made them so dangerous to deal with last season. And, right, you don't have – I mean, Baycott's been banged up, and, of course, right, he didn't play against Virginia Tech, so you lost that part of your offense. That I mean, he was a preseason first-team All-American. You were kind of expecting him to be an important piece. The one positive I will say, because – I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. The record speaks for itself. Uh, everything you said speaks for itself. Pete Nance, Caleb Love, and R.J. Davis were all efficient against Virginia Tech. So that's at least something. <laughs> now, they didn't, they didn't score enough points between them, and they didn't get enough help because this team doesn't have much depth, and you take out Armando Baycott, it has even less depth. So you need them to all be special if you're going to win games like that without Baycott on the floor. Or you got to find a way to improve your depth, which it seems like Hubert Davis is kind of trying to do. And maybe by the end of the season, it is more like seven or eight guys you can rely on. But it's... And I think the most concerning part is... I right, I don't think either of us were surprised they lost that game. Neither of us were surprised they lost to IU. Mm-hmm. They're just not 
good right now. And we don't need to, you know, we went deep into some of these problems after the IU game. We don't need to rehash all of them. It's the, it's the same story. I, I do think eventually it might get fixed, but we're to the same point we were last year where they have to win games to get into the tournament. That's the reality of the situation. I feel worse about this UNC team right now than I did about last year's UNC team at any point last season. Way worse. Mm, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. But that's interesting. And the the reason is because like those those guards have no filters when it comes to their shot selection. I mean, this is I mean, we the entire season we're going to be talking even when like even in their biggest in their their highs this season, I still think I'm going to think that those guards think they're better than they are. And if the first seven games, nine games of the season are in the indication, like like Armando Baycott is not going to finish as the first or second most field goal attempts on this team, and that's oh, no. crazy. And it's not even going to be. It might it, he might not even finish third. And and like if that happens, then Hubert Davis has been a colossal failure as a coach this year because Armando Baycott is the best player on that team. Like, I mean, look at Purdue. Purdue's got plenty of good basketball players on their team. Now, granted, they don't have the guards that North Carolina has. I'm not trying to compare Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith to Caleb Love and RJ Davis, but Armando Baycott should touch the ball literally like when he's, when he comes back and I know he wasn't, and I mean, he's been injured, but like this has been an issue all season that he's taken like a fourth of the shots that Caleb Love has taken. That's crazy. He should touch the ball every single possession and he should be the focal point of everything because it opens everything else up. And he's just and he's just not. And that's like it wasn't Caleb Love, who is a preseason first team All-American. It wasn't R.J. Davis. It wasn't Pete Nance. It was Armando Baycott. And he's he it, they operate as if he's the maybe the third most important player on this team. That's the most, that's the scariest thing for me because it didn't matter how good Jabari Smith was or how good Walker Kessler was last year at Auburn. Those guards managed to make things more stressful than they needed to be the entire season. And like, hopefully they find some efficiency like they did at the end of last season, like hopefully, but if they don't, I like, I'm, I'm not ready. Like, if, if the efficiency doesn't get better, I'm not sure Carolina's making the tournament. I'm just not. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. I guess my question is, what about that was different than last season? They got to the Final Four because the guards got really efficient and became the best players on the floor. Right? I, know, I mean, I know Baycott was double-double after double-double, but it, I never felt like he was a focal point of that offense. And I disagree with that last year, too. Right, 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 right. I, I, all, all I'm saying is that we can't depend on their, those highly inefficient guards to be efficient right if it happens and and, and they've both been horrible this year they've yeah. both mm-hmm. been way worse than they were last year at any point i would argue that's a that is a valid point yeah and so i guess and, my optimism is i don't think it can get much worse so it might get better but that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't make them a national title contender that, for me. That and has I, the I, same energy as this NBA draft prospect is athletic, but I can't tell you <laughs> anything else good about him. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I read off the the field goal attempt discrepancies. It's a yeah. it's a major issue, and it yeah yeah if they want to be anything close to what people thought they were going to be, they need to fix that. Absolutely. Anywho, I I I, I like. I want to be. I want to say I'm stunned. I'm not though. Yeah, no. I guess that's. Which I just is, have the exact same. To me, it's just all the same story. They can beat anybody if the guards are really efficient. Do you trust the guards to be really efficient? No, not really. Do they utilize Baycott the way they should? No. So when it goes bad, it goes really bad. Hmm. That was Anywho. my point. Gonzaga and Baylor played on Friday night. And Strange. that was not too. And that was not two good basketball teams that played on Friday night. I mean, they're relatively speaking good, but neither of them are anywhere close to elite. Neither of them. Um, it's we're less than a month into the season. First of all, and Gonzaga and UNC have lost a combined seven times. Yeah. How wild is that? Um, but um, to 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 kind of bridge the two conversations, Baylor beat Gonzaga sixty four sixty three 
on Friday night. Um, we don't need any more basketball games in the Pentagon in Sioux Falls. We really don't. Like, like I understand that Amazon, like it was a weird, or sorry, not Amazon Peacock. Like it was a weird, like event in and of itself. But like, like I don't need the Pentagon, which is a glorified high school basketball arena with no history hosting a like i don't need any more big basketball games here like why like and as a result there was bad basketball so the environment was hor- like it wasn't any good right i mean at the very least if one of these games if this game is in spokane or waco even if the play is bad the fact that the game is closed creates a cool environment i was i, I didn't feel like anybody was all that excited in the building um i i, I don't i just don't get it so we can get into the game but I, with all due respect to the Pentagon and Sioux Falls, um, I just don't need any more basketball games there. It was it, it had strange vibes. Yeah, <laughs> it, I guess it's it's good that you know about eight minutes into this game, you turned to me and said, "Yeah, I'm not feeling so good about our Gonzaga prediction." <laughs> mm. It it did sort of turn around a, a, a little bit. You know, Baylor jumped out to a lead, then Gonzaga clawed their way back in, took control of the game for a while, and then Baylor made a late run to ultimately steal it. So at mm-hmm. least, you know, Gonzaga played competitively to the final possession because it looked like for a minute they were about to get run out of the building. Mm-hmm. Not that playing with Baylor at this moment in time alleviates all of the concerns we now both have about Gonzaga in our prediction. But there didn't seem like there was that much between these two teams. So I really only have two big takeaways here that I'll just throw out and then you can respond. One, Baylor was much, 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 much better defensively. Now it's one of those, I mean, there's only one way you can go after how bad they've been defensively. Mm-hmm. But they really took Drew Timmy out of this game. And that's got to count for something. Now, most of their issues, as we've documented, have been documented have been on the perimeter because Flo Thomp is the kind of guy that can guard Drew Timmy and you feel pretty good about it. But still, what they did to do to me is worth recognizing. And on the flip side of that, from the Gonzaga perspective, this kind of goes to your no other NBA player there. I mean, Julian Strother is going to get drafted. Or at least you said the other lottery guy, first round pick. I don't remember what terminology you used. All elite college basketball teams have a lottery pick. Lottery pick. Almost all of them. Right. And this Gonzaga team doesn't. The other thing this team Gonzaga team doesn't appear to have that I thought was going to be Julian Strother is a second guy who can carry the offense on any given night. Right. Drew Timmy is clearly going to be your best player. Drew Timmy was your best player when Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert were there. But Corey Kispert could go score 28 points and knock down five threes and get to, you know, get to the foul line eight times in a game. And Jalen Suggs could just control a game from the point guard position because nobody could stay in front of him and what he could do defensively, all of that kind of stuff. Suggs was the most important player on that team. Sure. And that's Mm -hmm. the difference. And Andrew Nimhard was the most important player on that team last year. Drew Timmy is both the best and the most important important. player this year. Right. I really thought that was going to be Strother where, you know, you just can't ask a guy to go give you 20 and 8 every single night, no matter how good they are. That's just not a formula for success because sometimes they're going to get in foul trouble if they're big. Sometimes if they're a perimeter player, they're going to shoot the ball poorly. Sometimes they're just not going to have a good game. So you need somebody else who can, you know, if Timmy ends with 13, who can go get you 25. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be Strother. And so far it hasn't been. And so that player doesn't exist on that ro- on this roster. That was the other thing I sort of was thinking about reflecting on this game is it's great they kept themselves in it defensively, and Baylor's offense is also a work in progress. But right, even on the Baylor side, it could be Flagler, it could be George, it could be LJ Cryer. You don't. Mason Love was good in this game, right? You, you don't need any of those guys to be special every single night because you have multiple options. This Gonzaga team, at least at this point, doesn't even have that second option of whether it's scoring twenty five, whether it's you know stuffing the stat sheet the way Jalen Suggs could with sixteen, eight, and seven or something like mm-hmm. that. Somebody else, you go. Well, that was just the best player on the floor that night. He he made up for Drew Timmy not having a great game. I don't know who that player is. Um, yeah, Drew Timmy scored and failed to score in double figures for the f- only just the fifth time since Mar- March third of twenty twenty. Um. <laughs> 
that's pushing three years ago. Um, the thing that the thing that like like I'm officially out on Gonzaga completely. I don't care what they do the rest of the season until someone with the ball in their hands is a is better. Like in specific, like like just so to start, they were up by uh, they were up by seven with a minute thirty eight left in this game. Baylor goes on an eight zero run to win the basketball game. In that ninety eight seconds, they only were able to get two field goal attempts. Gonzaga in in a hundred seconds. Um, they committed two turnovers, gave up an offensive rebound. Nolan Hickman was 0 of 8 from the field, was 0 points, 3 turnovers. He did have 8 assists, but Hunter Salas still could only get on the floor for 7 minutes. That's all you need to know about how poor Gonzaga's point guard play is. It might be the poorest point guard play of Mark Pugh's tenure at Gonzaga. It's at certainly least. the poorest, the poorest like, since, like, Gonzaga Jeremy, was Gonzaga. Since, like, since, like, Pargo. Right. right. What was Pargo's first name? Was it Jeremy? Was it Jeremy Pargo? Is that right? I, I, I don't think that's right. There was but, a, there, there were multiple J Pargos, and I always get right, confused. Right. But yeah, the, the, the fifteen years, yeah, at least yeah. right. And Mark Pugh has been there, I think, since two thousand, something like that. Something like that. Um, like I don't like, and 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 I'm incredibly consistent about this about not believing in college basketball teams when it comes to their elite status if they don't have good guard play. And right now they don't have good guard play, right? It, it, it's it, it nothing nobody has shown anything to suggest they they might could be that guy. If you got like if they have like if they have a reliable guard who makes the right decision more times than not they win this basketball game because you should never lose a basketball game that you're up by seven with 98 seconds left. Right. Um, that's the thing that is, I don't think we overlooked it. Like we talked about Nolan Hickman needing to stay, take a step forward. I just like, I didn't think it could go as poorly at the point guard position as it has gone. And, and it is, I mean, really, it's a testament to how long Mark Pugh has had really good point guards and how good those point guards have been. I mean, we went from, you know, the Pargos to, to Nigel Williams Goss to, I mean, you, you know, sprinkle in um, John Stockton's kid at one point, you know, who has John Stockton's blood and, you know, coursing through his veins. So, you know, he's quality point guard just because he's living and breathing. Um, and then you go to, um, right. You had Jalen Suggs, you had Andrew Nimhard. Um, it is, and and like Hickman and Salas, like they're probably not that bad. It's just compared to how good the point guard play has been for the last you know decade or so that it is such a glaring hole on this basketball team. And that along with with Baylor, like like these are two teams that have glaring holes that I just thought were going to be addressed to a much further extent than they have been through the first through the first month of the season. Yeah, I don't regret the way I felt about either of them. The only thing I regret a little bit is the NBA talent aspect of this slightly for Gonzaga. But I also thought Julian Strother was going to be that guy who was going to get picked 13th overall because he has a really good season and Gonzaga makes the Final Four and everybody goes, oh yeah, 3 and D wing. Sure. It's just that Right, like you said, the players I expected to fill these gaps. It's not that we were unaware of the gaps. And, I mean, I did say my one concern about Baylor was the lack of defensive flexibility without a versatile big to guard one through four, one through five, and cause teams problems that way. Mm -hmm. But it's gone much deeper than that. I don't feel great about either of these teams at this point. I also just don't don't regret how I felt about them. It just hasn't gone the way I, that either of us thought it would. No, I mean, and and the the two can coexist. Yeah, exactly. You, you feel like you made came to a logical conclusion while also being wrong about that logical conclusion, right? right? Um, you know, I, I hesitate. You know, Baylor's defense was better. I will hesitate just because I just don't feel like Gonzaga's perimeter is putting that much pressure right. on anybody's defense right now. Um, and to your point, right. I mean, Drew Timmy, the glaring thing about Drew Timmy, and it has been since they lost 
right? It, it became very clear in that national championship game. And it's kind of the thing he's trying to get out from under as an NBA prospect is when there's a guy who's physically more imposing than him and a team that's more physically gifted and athletic than him, that he tends to struggle, right? He just kind of looked out of sorts in that national championship game the whole time, right? And if anything else, if if nothing else, Fothamba is more athletic and just as big as Drew Timmy. Mm-hmm. And, and he... And most of the time, he's skilled enough and athletic enough, right? I'm not, I mean, relatively speaking, he's not the most athletic guy, but clearly he's a gifted athlete. Um, but when you get a guy that can really give him trouble physically, he tends to struggle. And Flo Thamba, you know, not exactly surprised that Flo Thamba was able to be physically imposing um, against him, because that's just kind of what Flo does. Mm hmm. What has your ceiling changed for either of these two teams? I mean, I maybe that's not the. I mean, I feel like that's too easy of a question. Um, and maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, do do have you have you completely sold on either of these teams getting to the ceiling that you thought they were going to be at before the season started? Sold as in. There's no chance so, it happens. Sold as as in even if Gonzaga gets to the best version of themselves this year, they're not a Final Four team. I Baylor absolutely not. I still believe in Baylor ceiling. Sure, especially because there is an important piece that hasn't taken the floor yet that may become a major factor. Maybe not, depending on how it all plays out and how he recovers from his injury. But sure, I'm not giving up on Baylor. I have too much faith in Scott Drew. This is just the first time they haven't looked like the best team in the country coming out of the gate. You know, (laughs) Gonzaga, here's what I'll say. I am not, I don't see a world in which I can walk into the NCAA tournament believing Gonzaga is one of the four best teams in the country. Am I giving up on the possibility that Gonzaga finds a way to get to the final four? No, not yet. Those are guards that haven't played very much that are playing some of the best teams in the country every single game. I think that is something to think about, right? It's not like they're getting a nice little learning curve here. They're getting thrown off the deep end every single game. (laughs) Eventually that's going to change and they're going to get to play some games where they can just have a better feel for things because they're not going up against the very best players in the country. So maybe that gets some confidence. So just some time to figure things out that when they come back out of WCC play, they're a different team. Nolan Hickman looks like a different player. And all of a sudden, you look something closer to what I thought they were going to be. I think those holes are real, and I don't think they can be filled the way I thought. But I'm not going to bet against Mark Few finding a way to get to the Final Four in a year where maybe people aren't expecting it. That's what sure. I would say. Sure. I think that's fair. I, I, I just find it hard to believe that... Like the step that the step that the backcourt is going to have to take for me to actually believe in their yep. final four abilities is so massive that like if they do it, fantastic, and I will happily and I will happily pick them to go to the final four if they do. Um, that's just a super super big jump, and this is one of those times where them playing in the WCC makes me hesitant about anything I see from. And maybe it just gets to the point where they're so good every single game that you have to at least take some stock into it. But well, it'll certainly just, if nothing else, it'll be a question mark regardless of how good the backcourt is in WCC yes. play. Yeah, it's something I want to reevaluate heading into the tournament where I'm not closing the door on the possibility I feel differently, but an awful lot has to change for my opinion to change, just like you said. For sure. All right, before we get out of here... Um, Let's, Indiana let's talk went, about us looking smart. <laughs> Indiana went into the building that top 10 teams go to die and <laughs> lost to Rutgers 63 to 48. Um, I want to give Indiana their, at least the due diligence of, there was no Jalen Huchifino in this nope. game. Um, Trace Jackson Davis has clearly been struggling with something. He said he got a, a shot before the UNC game. Um, to deal with some pain. So I don't think Trace Jackson Davis is a hundred percent. 
Um, but with the and the rack has not been kind to Indiana, regardless of if they're good or not. Um, so all of those things aside, um, Josh, the UNC win keeps getting less impressive. And over the last two games specifically, um, we're seeing some of the things we talked about in preseason and to toot our own horns. We came in here after the UNC game and didn't overreact to what we saw and put it in context of where they played the game and who UNC is as a team right now. And them going to Rutgers and only scoring 48 in a game that Miller Cop had 21 and was 8 of 12 from the field. Um, I feel I feel like I can put a notch in my column, in our column, when it comes to evaluating basketball teams. Because um, that one, that's that's there's going to the rack and losing, and then there's going to the rack and losing 63 to 48. Um, when you get an offensive performance from somebody you might not get for the rest of the season. Like Miller Cop is a pretty consistent, like nine to 13 points a game. Very rarely is he going to go off for 21 for you. Um, and it still didn't, didn't matter from a, from a scoring 50 points perspective. Yep. I mean, you got basically nothing from anybody else outside of Jackson Davis and Miller Cop. Miller Cop mm-hmm. made five of the team's six threes. I will continue to harp on that point. Cause nine of 38 in their last two games. Yeah, didn't change against North Carolina. I specifically brought that up, and it was even worse in this game. Miller Cop is a good three-point shooter. He's going to have, yeah, you don't necessarily expect it to be five three-pointers and 20-plus points. He's going to make some threes because he's a good three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, it's the same problem. And one floor spacer is not going to solve the issues you have when your best player is Trace Ashton Davis. Mm-hmm. And, you know... It's the guards were good against a UNC team that has plenty of defensive issues and whose guards are not good right now and aren't particularly good defensively. Mm. (laughs) I just didn't see a lot in that game that made me change my thoughts on IU. Of course, they're a really good team. That doesn't mean you're the best team in the big, a big 10, by the way, that's looking better and better and better every single day. Mm. And even if you are the best team in the Big Ten, you're still going to have games like this because of your offense, especially if Trace Jackson Davis isn't 100%. And so I'm not going to overreact to this one either because I expected there to be games like this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I think IU is all of a sudden bad. They're pretty much what I thought they would be. Maybe they end up a little better. Maybe they end up a little worse. Purdue's the best team in that conference, though. And it's to me, it's just not that close. <laughs> and maybe I regret saying that at some point, but I don't think I will. And if nothing else, right, that's that's where you started. <laughs> and so you, you've at the very least been consistent, have been jump roping with the Indiana's elite jump rope. Um, you know, no Jalen Huchfino. Um and after how good the guards were as a collective against UNC, they were equally as bad against Rutgers. Um, Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson were in the starting lineup together. Um, two of 13 for 8.6 turnovers. Um, on the bench, Tamar Bates and CJ Gunn were one of eight with two total points. So that's, you know, that's four guards that were combined three of 21 from the field. It's going to be really hard to win basketball games like that, especially when you're and Trey Jackson Davis. I am a, Trace Jackson Davis truther. I am a really big fan of Trace Jackson Davis, but Trace Jackson Davis is much more effective when the perimeter players around him are much higher, are, are, are playing at a very high level. And in a related issue, he had 21 and 10 against UNC when those guards played really well. Mm-hmm. And that will, that will be, that will be the double-edged sword of UNC, of, of Indiana's team all season. And it's not like the guards can be like bad, but you got to, you know, you got two guys coming off the bench and a guy in the starting lineup who you can depend on to shoot 40% from the three-point line. That's just not really the reality of the situation. So there are going to be some nights where Indiana looks absolutely atrocious because all three of those things happen at the same time. They don't shoot well. The guards don't play well. And Trace Jackson Davis is, you know, five of 11 from the field instead of seven of nine, right? And 
all of those things in one way or another are connected. And sometimes they're going to, they're all going to happen at the same time and they'll beat Illinois by 16. Like, yep. like that will happen or at least a, a team in the, in the, in the, you know, category of Illinois. And then there will be sometimes that they, that everything they do offensively looks painstakingly difficult and like they couldn't get to 55 points if the entire world's demise depended on it. And that's just kind of what, that's just kind of what's going to happen. And to your point, um, Indiana's looked really good at times. They've looked really good against mid-major opponents. They looked pretty solid against UNC, right? I'm not trying to belittle that, that game. They, they looked good against UNC. Um, but you can continue to have a conversation about what that actually means being looking good against UNC and recognizing that these games, no matter how high in the AP poll Indiana gets, no matter how many games they win in the big 10, that this is something they will be susceptible to all season long, particularly on the road. They very well may run the table at home or at least come close. That place is raucous. Yes. Dude. And especially because the general public and IU fans are even higher on this team than we are and some media members are, right? We weren't alone in saying, let's hold on about this IU thing. Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it too, that right, the, <laughs> the people going into Assembly Hall believe they are cheering for, I mean, the best Indiana, well, it probably will still end up being the best Indiana team since that Cody Zeller team, but there is a huge expectation which gets you even that more excited. They're going to be incredibly difficult to beat at home because of the defensive foundation they have. They're also going to be susceptible to laying some stinkers on the road because generally speaking, this IU team has been pretty good at home and pretty bad on the road. And I don't expect that to, it's going to elevate where I, I mean, I, I expect them to win multiple road games in the big 10. You know, I don't think they're going 500 in conference play or something like that. But I do think that part of this gets overlooked sometimes that teams are going to look really good at home most of the time and they're going to struggle on the road most of the time. And IU is a perfect example of that. And so the question is, can you win enough road games, especially a team that is prone to dramatic ups and downs? Can you win enough games on the road to keep yourself in a Big Ten title conversation against a team like Purdue, who is one of the more level-headed programs in the country i would argue where they're incredibly difficult to beat at mackie because mackie's a great environment but also they show up on the road too mm -hmm. so that's that's the other part of this i'm not gonna go too hard after iu right hood Chifino didn't play they were on the road against a good big 10 team that should make the nca tournament and they mm -hmm. lost it happened mm -hmm. i'm also not gonna go freak out when they beat a team that's now unranked with clear issues at home like they should I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, you got anything else? couple other things I wanted to mention. Michigan, I almost made them my loser, but I thought that was a little harsh. I mean, they came close against Virginia. They came close against Kentucky. Kept Oscar Sheboy in check. But ultimately come up short in London. That was a much more balanced Kentucky performance, so I wanted to mention that in terms mm -hmm. of monitoring <laughs> Kentucky's approach to offense and what it might mean. Mm -hmm. That was not heavy Sheboy. Now, part of that was Sheboy was not particularly effective in that game, but you got some – I mean, Casey Wallace was really good again. You got some a better balance and shot distribution in that game for Kentucky. And then I also wanted to, to do a Pac-12 check-in. Uh, Arizona, we didn't really talk about this, but got smoked by Utah. That is the thing that occurred. Now, they bounced back with a win against Cal. They might just be, you know, the 8th or 13th best team in the country, not the 4th. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. <laughs> Arizona State continues to win basketball games against at least decent teams. <laughs> How long it lasts, I'm still not entirely convinced, but they're picking up wins. And congratulations, Oregon State already has a conference win and nearly beat USC. How about that? How about that? Oregon State, best team in the state of Oregon. <laughs> um, that might have been a little disrespectful to Oregon. Maybe just a little bit. Uh, um, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I will keep it a buck with you. I didn't watch a single second of the Kentucky Michigan game. I watched Not a the single end. second. Not a single second of it. Um, so I will take your word for it. Um, but um, hey, the Pac-12 still kicking, still kicking. Um, Jimmy V Classic this week, Illinois and Texas on Tuesday night. Um, you get Tarleton at Baylor. All I'm saying is that Tarleton has given some some teams some trouble. That's all I'm saying. I'm not actually worried about Baylor against Tarleton. Um, Duke and Iowa in the Jimmy V Classic as well. Maryland at Wisconsin, as we talked about, in winners and losers. Um, UConn is at Florida. Florida, you know, six and three, they're fine. Um, of course, you know, year one for Todd Golden. Um, but going uh, to Gainesville is never an easy proposition, and UConn are now a top five team in the country. Um, so that one is at least on the radar. Um, number 20, Iowa State. Shouts to TJ Offelberger. Um, uh, seven and one, once again, inside the top 25. Um, they play Iowa on Thursday. Not a ton of of tippity top games this week. Alabama and Houston play on Saturday. That's that's the uh, probably the best game along with Arizona and Indiana. They play as well. But um, you know, um, got some got some conference games this week, so that's always fun. But um, and then the the week is going to end with Maryland and Tennessee, and that'll be a good one. But um, that's kind of the week in terms of highlighting the biggest games. Um, at least the games that jump off the page when you're when you're scrolling through this through the schedule. Um, anything else, Josh? I think that's about it. Did Croatia win? Yes. We've been recording this pod. Did, did did Japan get any of the PKs into the back of the net? One. Man, that's tough. It was, was it tough. was it was done after three? Yeah, four. I think after four. Officially, after Croatia four? missed okay. one. Croatia missed one. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, Croatia, you know, on their way to to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Um, quite the quite an eventful World Cup for the Japanese. Quite an eventful one. But um, always, of course, enjoying the World Cup. Um, that's all we got for you. Please subscribe to the Jace for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast and Google Podcasts. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Jace for Days Pod. TikTok, YouTube, all those fun things. And we'll be back at the end of the week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh, and he is Josh. And we will see you later.